Nando's. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Underbuskero Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nucky spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Friday, Jay Sandoz alongside Mike Gallagher. Sandoz and the sidekick talking women's hoops, men's basketball, FCS playoffs, bold predictions on this Friday. I am in Fargo, North Dakota, where it is slightly cooler than back in the Tri-Cities where Mike is. But I'll tell you what was warm and hot on the inside, Brooks Gymnasium. How about that? You are there last night as ETSU defeats Wake Forest. Well, first, let me just say, it doesn't sound like Internet has made it to Fargo. Is that what's going on, or are they behind the times there? Uh, apparently, you have to have a lot of uh, authorization codes in the hotel to get out, which is unusual. But we're, you know, we're not at the normal Marriott. We're at the Radisson. And uh, besides the pillows that were atrocious and no Internet, it's fine. It's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful hotel. So they're behind on Internet and pillows. Interesting. That's a strange combination to be lagging behind on. That's a... Uh... Something I wasn't expecting. Yeah, though, Brooks Gym last night. Great atmosphere. Crowd was fantastic. Nearly 1,000 at ETSU's usual home. Of course, they started the year at Freedom Hall against Tennessee and lost that one, then lost the ensuing three at home and got their first win last night in dramatic comeback fashion in the fourth quarter. Went on an 18-2 to run in that fourth quarter that spanned almost the entire thing. It was like seven and a half minutes. Wake Forest didn't score for over seven minutes. And what looked like early that it could be a little bit of a runaway, and I know there's been a few people that have come up to me and said, and you looked at that first quarter and just didn't know if the gals will be able to get it done. And I certainly understand the sentiment, but really it was a set of two quarters on each side that – really told the story of this game. It was plus 15 in the first and third quarter for Wake Forest, but credit Brittany Azell and that coaching staff for making the adjustments and putting the women in the right position to succeed on the court in the second and fourth quarters. Those adjustments led to a plus 22 for ETSU in the second and the fourth. Elise Stafford ties her career high with 16 on five of nine from the floor, three rebounds, five steals. You saw for really the first time last night, Jay, without Erica Haynes-Overton, that the Bucks were able to take the ball away with those turnovers in the steal department. They've been prolific in terms of blocks. They lead the conference in blocks. Tiana Kimbrough had three more blocks last night. She's got 19 on the year, leads the SoCon individually. You hadn't really seen the pickpockets come out. And last night, you saw four steals from Kimbrough, five from Elise Stafford. Kimbrough in double figures again, 10.7 rebounds, those three blocks and four steals. And Micah Sheets, it seems like you can count on her for 14 to 16 a night at this point. Did take 15 shots to get there, but also crashed the board, 16 points 
points and seven rebounds. So we talked about on the show on Wednesday that Wake Forest isn't necessarily an ACC power. They were projected bottom of the conference. They've only got one winning season in the ACC in their program's history. And you can qualify it a lot of different ways. But as me and Coach Zell talked about on the pregame show and the Atmos Energy pregame show last night before the tip-off at 7 o'clock at Brooks Gym, it's still a name program. And it's still someone that a lot of the players on ETSU, I'm sure, grew up watching and seeing, whether it was, you know, the Chris Paul, Tim Duncan days, uh, whether it's the football team, you know, you've got TV contracts in that conference. And so they're highly visible. They're a power five team, regardless of what they've accomplished in women's basketball. There's still a different mindset you need to have going into the game. And maybe the Bucks didn't have it right away. When they went down 21-10, to 10, but then they went on a 9 nothing run, got right back in, and it was close the rest of the way. And, of course, that fourth quarter made all the difference. I think when you look at the fourth quarter, holding them to just uh, 18% shooting, 3 of 16, getting to the line. And some of that I know was late getting line, but still 12 of 14. I, I talked a little bit, you know, on Wednesday, and not everything I talk about happened, but a couple things did. One, they were aggressive. They got to the line. You know, you almost took 20 more free throws than Wake Forest. I think that's an important number. And then I think everyone, at least uh, from what I was able to, to gather, and you can correct me again, you have firsthand knowledge, but it looked like nobody tried to do anything crazy, right? They played within themselves. Everyone sort of played their game. You know, Kimbrough 10 and 7, a couple 16-point outings for Sheets and Stafford. The shocking thing is maybe the combined nine steals for Stafford and Kimbrough. If you would have just blanketly said, hey, ETSU had 12 steals, who are the two ladies you thought would lead the team? I don't know that I would have come up with those two in my first few guesses, to be completely honest. But I think nobody seemed to, to, to have to have a crazy game. Everyone sort of played, you know, by the numbers, a game that looked like was, was well within. And I know other than, than Micah Sheets, uh, maybe a little down on the overall shooting numbers, 5 of 15, that's who's going to take the most shots right now without having Erica Haynes Overton. So a lot of that, I know rebounding, I was hoping to be a – a little better than what it was, uh, the minus 11 on that and minus 11 on the offensive glass, but it just didn't seem like that Wake Forest was able to take, especially late uh, in the game, was able to take advantage of some of those opportunities. And, you know, it was one of those situations, Mike, when you get on 21-10 and, and sort of, you know, the men's game at Kansas, you know, you could either lay down and get blown out or you can figure out, hey, you know, we just got to play our game and the game's not over. It's a long game. You can kind of creep back into it. And for the women's basketball team, they were not only to creep back into it, but they were able to sort of step on Wake Forest the fourth quarter to the tune of 20-7 to in that deciding quarter, which ended up leading the Bucks to a 67-60 victory. Well, and against Davidson, five days earlier, they made a big run after getting down 14 to nothing, got it to seven, a timeout by Davidson, and that was kind of gut check time, right? When they come out of the timeout, are the Wildcats going to keep putting their foot on the Bucks' throat? Are they going to turn the momentum like they were able to do at the beginning of the game? Or is ETSU going to continue to make their run and get back within three or four, go into halftime with momentum? And against Davidson, ETSU wasn't able to keep up what they had uh, done over the previous 10 or so minutes to work their way back into the game. There was kind of a similar moment last night coming out of the first quarter. It was 21-10, to 10, and at that point it was either going to be all right, are things going to go like they did against Davidson, where during the second quarter you fall behind and you go down 11 or 12 into the half, you're not able to muster any positive momentum going to the second half, or is it going to be the opposite? You know, are you going to come out and punch them back? You know, are you going to put them in the canvas to steal a, 
uh, a phrase from Steve Forbes, who stole that from boxing, obviously. But uh, are you going to be able to, you know, punch back? Are you going to be able to equalize what they've been able to do? And that nine nothing run really did on rebounding. I was actually very encouraged by the rebounding effort because Wake Forest came in leading the country in rebounding margin. They were plus seventeen going into uh, last night against the Bucks, and to come out plus eleven. I didn't think, honestly, that was as bad as it maybe appears to the untrained eye, you know, with being plus 11 after you were plus 17, considering ETSU once again lost Shania Jackson early on to some foul trouble. She was only able to play 12 minutes. That's your starting center, but Kimbrough comes in, plays 28, gets seven of those rebounds, and while it's not a huge number, 27, um, to be able to limit Wake Forest to 38, I thought, was, was really big. No one really did anything outside of what they usually do to an extreme extent I'd agree with you there but there were some little things that went the Bucks way that you don't see on a nightly basis Micah Sheets was 0 of 9 from three-point range since Erica Haynes Overton went down with injury she had her first three last night since Haynes Overton had to be forced to sit out of course with the MCL that she's still probably a few weeks away from coming back from Kaya Upton was 2 of 25 from outside coming into last night she hits a three Gabby Brown was 0 of 10 in her ETSU career from the field she hits a big three and she also leads the Bucks in assists so while there wasn't that one huge presence that did way more than they usually do it was a combination of three or four players just doing little things and maybe making one big contribution and the one thing we haven't really mentioned ETSU has been simply spectacular defending the perimeter this year allowing opponents to make just 30 percent from deep and last night Wake Forest 0 of 13 so not making a three obviously really hurt the Demon Deacons. They were 10 to 13 from the line, but just one of four over their last four free throws. They were 9 to 9 to start, and they finished the night going one of their final four. So ETSU 21 of 31 from the line on the attack and on the front foot the entire night and just did everything they needed to do. 12 steals, 12 assists was a season high. The 12 steals a season high also uh, limited to 15 turnovers. That was good. Forced Wake Forest into 20 mistakes and got 27 points off those turnovers. So there wasn't that one big person, but there were a lot of little things that added up to a big thing at the end of the J.J. I think a lot of people, you know, when uh, every time I give the three stat, a lot of people go, oh, it's college basketball. Everybody hits a three, but We've seen games like Davidson on the men's side a few games ago did not hit a three uh, in a contest, was 0 for 15. Now on the women's side, you look at Wake Forest, 0 of 13. And so even though uh, teams are taking a lot more threes, it's still a situation where teams can come up empty-handed and anytime you can stop body, stop anybody from having you know one triple to go down on the night, you certainly have to give all the credit uh, for one, the, I think the defensive pressure had something to do with it. I'm sure there was at least uh, one or two shots that just didn't go down. But for the most part, if you're taking contested shots, right, it, it's got to be a, a big deal. They've been defending, as you said, the perimeter very well this year. And so there were a lot of things today that, or last night, I guess I should say, that came together that you kind of wanted to put a full game together. And it seemed like other than just the uh, right now is the norm slow start for the women's basketball team. It seems like they're starting to figure out roles. They're starting to figure out how to be successful. Getting to the free throw line is certainly one of those things that's uh, helped them been successful. And getting 21 makes. I mean, they, they had eight more makes than Wake Forest had even attempts. And uh, that's just a huge number. It will always be a recipe to try to pick up some wins. Yeah, no question. And they're going to have to find that recipe again on Sunday afternoon. Cleveland State comes in. 2 o'clock is tip-off at Brooks Gym. 1.30 pregame of the Buccaneer Sports Network. At that point, they're probably going to be 7-1. and one. 
and that's an impressive mark to start the year. Cleveland State is not known as a horizon power, certainly not lately, but being 7-1, and one, and I say they're probably going to be 7-1 and one because tonight they have Western Carolina, who are projected bottom of the league in the Southern Conference. We know them very well, being in the same league as the Catamounts. But uh, regardless of who you play, I think 7-1 and one is impressive. Now, I'm going to qualify that by saying they've beaten Davis and Elkins, who I hadn't heard of until I saw him on Cleveland State's schedule, but a Division II. Uh, LIU, who are projected way down there in their conference, the NEC. Hofstra, who are projected in the bottom of their conference. St. Bonaventure, second to last in the A-10. Akron, who is a bottom three team in the MAC in terms of the preseason projections. And then Delaware State, I think across all sports, the understanding is with Delaware State, you're not going to get usually even a average Division One programmed average Division One effort from them, and that was an eight point win the last time they played going into tonight. So seven and one is impressive, and they're top two in eleven different statistical categories of like the I think it's fifteen that I counted that um, you look on the conference website that they're eligible to be in the rankings for. So 11 of 15 and in the top two in those. So very impressive what they've been able to do early on. But that being said. ETSU coming off a victory against Wake Forest and, of course, wins over Liberty and Appalachian State as well. This is going to be a good measuring stick for Cleveland State to find out where they are because they lost to Bowling Green pretty heavy early. It was a 27-point loss in their season opener. And then the six consecutive and what we assume will be seven consecutive wins after their night in Cullowee, they've also had to play six of their seven uh, on the road if you take out the Davis and Elkins game. So they have had to be road warriors, and it's not going to stop after ETSU. They have to go to Omaha after a week off after that. So they have not had a lot of time at home. They've been tested at least in terms of the venues that they've had to go to and being on the road so often. Uh, that can't be fun. Uh, the only time I've seen a schedule like this in terms of home versus away uh, is usually in like a baseball or softball schedule. A team's going from up north to down south to just be able to get games in. But obviously basketball is an indoor sport, Jay. We know that. Don't know much, but we do know that. And having nine-year first 11 on the road is a bit intense. But ETSU has to avoid, I think you'd agree, the letdown game tomorrow. Such a big win. The first over a Power 5 program for ETSU since the 2008-09 season when they beat Kentucky in a tight game. If you lose to Cleveland State, I'm not saying you haven't accomplished anything by beating Wake Forest, but it's certainly a hollow feeling after that game. Yeah, I think you need to build off of it. And I mean, I, I don't. I, you can yada yada a little bit of Cleveland State, but this, the fact that they played every one of those on the road just right. about, I think, is impressive. Because uh, you, you, I mean, it's you know we're on the ETSU on its third road game in a row, and I know you're you tired, you're exhausted. Where, well, that's what I was going to say. I'm not an athlete or anything, but I've, I've certainly it's you get tired of hotel living. You get tired of uh, just, you know, getting it. And for, you know, think about Octavian Corley. Think about Lucas Casson, seven-footers, trying to get it in and out of, you know, airplanes and all that. Just uh, and, and maybe there's no seven-footers on Cleveland State, but still the fact you're going on airplanes, you've got long bus rides, you, you're just not able to play in an environment, just able to spend four or five days in your own bed, you know. So give them credit, even if – you know, maybe the, the, the schedule and the strength of schedule isn't where it is to, to go and continue to win games like that and be resourceful, I think, shows a lot. Now, on the flip side, I do agree. I think you have to be able to build off this, right? You can't take a step back. Every, you're coming off a, a high of this win. You should be have a couple few days of practice. I think the roles are starting to get defined. 
Everyone knows sort of where they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to do. It seems like everyone played within themselves and, and didn't do anything crazy and they were able to win. So I think once you start to see things like that happen, hopefully this is the – uh, I don't want to say turn to corner. I don't know if that's even the proper term here, but able to get a win, see if they can build off that win against Cleveland State on Sunday, 2 p.m. 1.30 pregame, Buccaneer Sports Network. All right, we'll talk men's basketball. The big win against the Citadel to open up Southern Conference play. The game against North Dakota State coming up tomorrow. We'll do that after this timeout. Santa Sidekick, Buccaneer Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. and the sidekick back with you on this Friday. Jay Sandoz, Mike Gallagher. I'm in Fargo. He gets to spend more time at home than I do, at least for right now. It's Mike Gallagher. And ETSU men's basketball win in Charleston, South Carolina. 62 degrees when we boarded the bus yesterday. 18 when we landed in Fargo. We'll talk about that in a second. But let's talk about what was a first half and a hot shooting first half for Trey Boyd. 9 of 13 shooting, 23 points in the first half alone. Jerome Rodriguez would finish with a game or with a team high 26 points, 16 rebounds, eight offensive, eight defensive rebounds. He was 13 of 15 from the floor. The first time a Buccaneer had 13 made field goals since Kevin Tiggs in 2009. He threatened the 2020 club, and that would have uh, last time I'd have was 2011 with Mike Smith. And so uh, big numbers for Rodriguez finished with 26. Boyd would just get two points in the second half, but. Uh, you know, going triangle and two, they really, Citadel did a nice job of trying to take it out of his hands. And I thought Trey Boyd did a, a brilliant job of just not trying to make it all about him. He has talked about being a team guy. He's talked about, you know, he just wants to win. And when they put triangle two and he drove and it was a double team, he made nice passes, left guys, he didn't hit all the shots, but he left guys wide open, clean looks. Very unselfish basketball once again for ETSU. And, you know, five guys, and it's almost kind of funny we're sitting there, Yesterday morning, and Steve Forbes, who had kind of looked at the stat sheet when we were sitting there talking, just kind of looked at it again. He goes, did you know Davian had 16? <laughs> it was like, it's like almost a forgotten 16 points for Davian Williamson, 11 for Goussaint, and Isaiah Tisdale with 10. But uh, certainly when you look at two guys that go 23 for 34 shooting and combined for 51 points, it's probably going to be a good day for your team there, Mike Gallagher. Well, it's a good point about Trey Boyd. You look at his stat line, 25 points, three rebounds, two assists, two blocks. I will take that over Caden Rice, who had 30 points, no rebounds, no assists, no blocks, and one steal. Each had one turnover. He's doing, maybe not in droves, crashing the glass and distributing, and what now, seven blocks, I think the stat is, seven blocks in the last three games against Citadel, which is insane because you don't usually think of Trey Boyd as a shot blocker. I think Coach Forbes said post game, who is he, Akeem Olajuwon? Like, you don't think so, uh, but he seems to have that come out against the Bulldogs, which is very odd. But just contrasting two players in that game, Rice and Boyd, even the little things, those couple of assists, the couple of blocks, the few rebounds that Trey Boyd had, I think illustrates 
just how much more valuable that his 25 were over Caden Rice's 30. Man, he's shown that all year, and he's matured. And Coach Forbes talked about that post game, and I think you and me have discussed it as well. You can see it, even if you're not a basketball aficionado, if you've seen him last year versus this year. And, of course, Coach Forbes and his staff have followed Trey Boyd uh, well before that. His, and Trey Boyd even told us, he said, my freshman year I probably wouldn't have made some of the plays that I'm making this year. I'm not sure, and I think Coach Forbes expressed the same. I'm not sure that he would have made some of the plays last year in terms of distributing and going up and doing the extra thing defensively and crashing the glass and trying to do what he can to help in other ways that he's doing this year. And his start was incredible, but I really thought the tone setter was Jerome Rodriguez. You know, those first four minutes right before the media timeout in the first half had three offensive rebounds, maybe even a fourth before the media timeout, certainly four before the five-minute mark. All of them turn into points on a night the Bucks get 25 second-chance points. And then in the second half, it was even more impressive. I mean, an onslaught from Jerome Rodriguez. 16 rebounds, eight of them offensive. He had five baskets before the 15-minute mark. So five baskets in five minutes in the second half. And so important, obviously, to get off to a great start on the night, but then also out of the locker room coming out of halftime. And Jerome Rodriguez was the one that did that for the Bucks each time that they needed someone to uh, you know, get them off to a good start against the Bulldogs and then make sure that Citadel wouldn't be coming back from the 10-point deficit that they were under uh, coming out of the first half. So uh, Trey Boyd, incredibly impressive night. But Jerome Rodriguez, I mean, 13 for 15. That is simply outrageous, 26 and 16. And you're right. I think Davian Williamson, Lucas Cousin, Isaiah Tisdale – a little bit overshadowed in this one, but their contributions, of course, important as well. They're going to get drowned out, though, by the fact that 26 and 16 and 26 minutes for Jerome Rodriguez. He definitely announced his presence, Jay Sandoz, on the 2019-20 scene uh, that night against Citadel. Yeah, you look at it, and, it, it, you know, he's had some trouble again at offseason surgery. He's trying to come back, and, you know, he's had some issues with his foot, some other things, and, and just seemed like everything sort of come together for him. But the tone setter, you hit it right on the head. The offensive rebounds and the amount of points they were able to score, the first five offensive rebounds, they had 12 points. So not only did they get score on every time, but they had a couple threes to maximize that and point off turnovers. I mean, you look at 14 points, but there was just single-digit turnovers for the Citadel. I mean, all those sort of miscellaneous categories able to, to add up and then – you know, just the, the, the variety of ways ETSU could score, whether it was inside the paint with 52, with second-chance points, it was points off turnovers. They hit nine threes in the game. They were, again, seventy over 70% from the charity strike, 15 of 21. I mean, just everything that kind of played into it. And I know the only thing that Coach Forbes was livid about, I don't want to say only thing, it was two things. One, defensive pressure, especially in the first half, and guys just not – doing their job and allowing too many just easy layups, missed assignments. The second thing was just handling the pressure. I mean, ETSU should have, should have probably gone up 25 or 30 and put them away, and, and that knockout blow has just been a, a hard one for this team to somehow be able to do. They get people on the ropes. They get them winded. They get them literally the corner man's about to throw the white towel in, and then they let them off the hook, right? And then all of a sudden it becomes a game again. So we've got to figure out a way – you know, to be good to when each issue went on that 16 game win streak. If you go back and look at that a few years ago, I mean, they were putting people away. It would get 15s or so, and all of a sudden be 20, 25 point games. Now, flip side of that, they didn't play a lot of tight games, and then down the stretch, they lost all the tight games. So now I'm hoping they figure out a way to win all the tight games. Maybe now they figure out how to blow people out, 
inning. You've got both those sides covered coming down the stretch run. But I think that was the only couple things. Film session was interesting yesterday. Coach Forbes, you know, if you would have been standing outside the room, you would think, is this team 8-1 and one or 1-8? One and eight? Because he was all over the guys, especially for what they weren't able to do defensively and allow too many easy uh, buckets and chances, especially early in the game. And then late in the game, again, letting a big lead kind of squander. And, and, and I know they still won by 12, but it was a situation where ETSU could have made that 25 or 30 at some point. You know, I thought going into the game, Hayden Brown, whether he would play or not, was going to be big, and he did end up playing. Um, I don't think I was necessarily shocked by that, but just not being inside and around Citadel's program very often, or at all, (laughs) and seeing him miss the previous three games, having to leave um, the game on, I think it was November 19th, with that hamstring injury and not playing for two weeks, it was kind of a toss-up, it seemed like. They had ruled him out for their little road trip, they had two away from home, then came back for one before they played the Bucks, and Brown didn't play in that either. So you're kind of wondering, oh, is it more serious? Is he going to play? He does play, but plays only 15 minutes. Did have 12 points and five rebounds. Looked really good, I thought. But the fact that he was only able to play those 15, I thought was very important. Uh, to get 12 and five out of it was huge, of course. But I think next time these two teams play, it'll be very interesting to see if Brown is at 100% how he's used uh, to the extent that he's used, how Citadel changes. You talked about Coach Forbes not necessarily being happy that the Bucks didn't put Citadel away when they had the chance and didn't defend well early. Um, I think Citadel does some things to take what you want to do defensively away. I mean, they don't average, you know, God, I think going into like the last quarter of the conference season or non-conference season I should say last year they were averaging like 95 points a game or something not nearly uh, doing that this year but they've put up consistently over the time of Digger Bauckham um, really big offensive numbers so I don't think it's all uh, ETSU's defensive effort at least in the early going at Steve Forbes probably finding a way to disagree with that which is smart right keep pushing your team to be able to get better efforts out of them. But point being, I think Hayden Brown next time ETSU meets Citadel, that'll be interesting to see the effect he has in the game when he does play more. But either way, with or without him, ETSU can only beat the team that is put on the court in front of them. They did that against Citadel. I still thought, despite that there wasn't that put-away 25-30 point performance, it was impressive the way the Bucs were able to build their lead. And I was never nervous in this one like I may have been nervous in the Appalachian State game or a few others they've played this year, um, including the Arkansas Little Rock game where they fell behind by seven. So a little bit different feel for me in this game. Yeah, and I think, uh, again, it was uh, it was too little too late for, for Citadel. Right. They were making it a comfortable, they were getting close, but you're right. I don't think I don't think I ever felt like, well, somehow we're not going to win the game. Right. But it was still a situation where you kind of sh- shake your head a little bit like, you know, hey, you guys actually work on press and practice. Like, it's not like you haven't seen this from yourself. But I think just – some lack of focus, some other things, especially the, I think the defense early. Now, second half, I think, when things got kind of rocking and rolling, they did a much better job and clearly dominant on the glass in that contest. But, you know, again, you mentioned it. It's the first opponent. you got to get that down. Southern Conference 1-0, move on. I thought uh, another maturity thing was they talked to Luke Gasson about not starting for matchups. Bonnie Patterson, as you were talking about earlier, you know, what could, we, could he do if he – gets more playing time, we'll find that out. A very efficient day for Lucas Gasson. But I think it's just tough to ask him. I mean, I was talking to Coach Forbes about that after the fact and, and said, you know, it's kind of tough because Lucas goes down on one end and scores, and then on the other end he's got to sink down and help in, and then he's got to run all the way out to the arc for 
you know, Brown, the, before he got hurt, to, to, to fire a three. And that's just, you know, there's not a lot of seven-footers that can do that, right? And the only guy I can think of is probably Kevin Durant. There's not somebody like that in the Southern Conference for sure. So I, I think there's just some matchup issues for Goussaint when, when, he's, when you see the Citadel. You know, VMI doesn't even really play that way. So I think whenever that game comes around, he's just got to know he's going to get limited action. He's going to be able to score. It's just going to be tough on, on the defensive end. And, you know, Citadel is not shooting as many threes as they have in the past, but it could be a good tune-up game because who is shooting a lot of threes is North Dakota State. They've already taken 257 threes. Ooh, wow. Uh, uh, they've got, I'm trying to think, they've got seven guys that have taken 22 or more, six guys that have taken 30 or more attempts from beyond the arc. So the one thing that uh, North Dakota State is going to try to do is take threes, only shooting 31%, but the pure volume of it. I mean, they've got 79 makes on the season, and their top five, six scores uh, this year were all in the game last year. And this was a team, you know, went to NCAA tournament. Mike, you did the game. You were there. I had to listen to you on the drive over uh, to Jacksonville State. So you certainly know sort of what, what style of offense and everything they're going to try to bring to the table. But the one thing for sure is they're going to take a lot of shots, and they're going to do so from outside. I was pretty surprised when I looked at their schedule, looked at the NCAA tournament field, that they made the NCAAs, quite honestly. Uh, and give ETSU credit for that because I thought resoundingly during that game the Bucks were the better team. And it was a really convincing performance for me from ETSU last season. I mean, 59% from the floor, 45% from outside. They out-rebounded NDSU 39-25. to And there were a couple of people missing for – the Bison, um, Sam Griesel, who missed 11 games with a knee injury, one of them last year, was against DTSU, so they didn't have Griesel, but he's not really one of their top threats offensively. He's a very solid player, no doubt. I think this year he's number five on the Bison in scoring, and he started every game, so not having him hurt a little bit, but last year's game was kind of what I'd love to see this year from ETSU. Uh, they got ahead by 12 at the half, and you go through the second half, and there was never a point where – North Dakota State got it under, I think it was nine. And ETSU at one point extended to, uh, I should say, eight. Uh, never got it under eight. And there was one point where ETSU extended it all the way out to 14. And that was a comfortable victory and statistically a dominant victory for ETSU. Uh, nothing new for North Dakota State to be shooting all these threes. They took nearly 1,000 last year, which is just absurd. Uh, 910. Wow. And the difference between this year's team and last year's team with NDSU and the reason they were able to go on that run to go and make the NCAA tournament after running through the Summit League, uh, simply shooting. I tried to go about this a lot of different ways when looking at the matchup this year, but they're down 5% from the line this year. They're down 6% from three. So you're taking all those threes, and you may say, oh, 6%, that's not a big deal. But when you're taking nearly 1,000 in a year to go from 37% to 31% is a big deal. Uh, and they're also down, um, I think it's 6%, make it 5% from the field. So from 45 to 40%, Jared Samuelson and Vinny Shahid are a lot of the reason for that. Their numbers are way down in terms of efficiency this year. Shahid's just 27% from outside after being their leading scorer last year at 37% from three-point range. And Samuelson, who's going to be one of the ones to launch a lot of threes, he's shooting 33% from outside this year, 47% from outside last year, and their field goal percentage numbers are down as well. So I don't know how to dress it up any more than just saying they're just not shooting the ball as well. And it's weird because I think it's, you look at, who they have seven of the eight 
from last year as I'm adding up. Seven of their top eight scorers are back. Only Dengu, uh, who I was pretty impressed with last year but didn't really do much against DTSU, he's gone. Their top sub from last year. But seven of their eight scorers are back. And they've gone from minus two to plus five in rebounding margin. So they're doing better down low. But shooting the ball, I don't know what's gotten into the Bison because they just don't have the dead eye they did last year. Well, and I, and I don't know just because of success last year. Maybe, I don't know if more people paying attention to it. More people are just like, you know what, we're going to guard to three. You know, Coach Forbes has said it a few times this season, try to beat his two-by-two-by-two two by two as opposed to giving up a lot of threes because obviously last year ETSU gave up a lot of threes. So they're trying to run people off the line. I don't know if that's maybe the game plan uh, that other teams have done. They've, they played a nice little mix. You know, they, they opened up the season loss at Kansas State. Then they routed off a few wins against Maryville State, Cal Poly, uh, UT Texas Rio Grande Valley, a win at Corpus Christi. Then uh, a loss to Stony Brook, Utah Valley State, a win at Idaho, or a win, yeah, win at Idaho, and then they lost at Indiana State. So they've got a nice little mix. They've played some peer-type institutions. They've stepped up a, a weight class in a couple of those games. But, you know, you just take a look at the numbers, and other than, you know, one kind of outburst, which, again, was against Mar- uh, May- Mayfield State. I think it said Maryville State. It's Mayfield State. Uh, if you take that out of play, They've only broke 75 once. Hmm. You know, they've really had a hard time scoring the basketball. They've been held under 63 different times and 61. So four of the nine games they've been at 60 or below for a team that didn't seem to have a lot of trouble scoring last year for whatever reason this year. My only guess is, and I can already tell you the game plan for ETSU is trying to run them off the line. And My only guess is they've just been trying to run. They've been ran off the line, and they're either not uh, – wanting to take the two-point shots or they're just taking contested shots and they're just not going down. The rebounding was something I'm glad you hit on because I was going to say that was really an issue for them a year ago. Um, they're missing more shots. Maybe there's just more opportunities right. uh, for rebounds, but they're doubling up teams on offensive rebounds. And Tyson Ward, 22 offensive rebound leads the way. So I know the coaching staff's kind of talked about not letting him get to the glass. The only guy, uh, Sam Grizzle, is the only other guy with double-digit rebounds. You mentioned that play. Uh, and last year's game against ETSU. So I, I think it's just going to come down to, you know, if it's North Dakota State's day from beyond the arc, could be a long day for ETSU. But other than that, I think it's a good matchup. ETSU's playing uh, some good basketball right now. And, you know, if they can get out to a good run and they get a chance to put North Dakota State away, I think they'll have to do that. If you let them hang around and then, you know, a couple of three-point shots go, you've been around long enough, Mike, you know, it's contagious. If a few of them go down, especially second half, it could be a, a situation where it could be a long evening for ETSU. Yeah, and that is the one thing I always worry about with a team that's got a history of success shooting the ball and then comes into a game like this where they're down from the field and from outside. Uh, when are they going to wake up, right? <laughs> and I always – maybe I'm paranoid. I, I definitely have been accused of that before, and I wouldn't deny it in this case either, but – when are they going to start knocking down those shots that they have proven they can knock down? Certainly hope that it is not tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. We've had some bad luck, I think, with players that are really important to their teams coming back in a timely manner for the Bucks coming to their place. I mean, last game with Hayden Brown, now Rocky Cruiser, he came back last game after missing just over two weeks and had a second straight double-double. So I remember Cruiser last year, and he's putting up some good numbers this year. Um, he's another that'll crash the glass and can be a real difference maker on the board. So keep an eye on him. His second game back, he looks like he should be 100%, unlike Hayden Brown only playing the 15 minutes. Looks like he should be 100% um, Cruiser to be able to play you know, 30 or 35 if they need it. But I really like this matchup again. 
again for ETSU. Uh, once once again, I was shocked when I saw that NDSU made the tournament, um, and I thought that there was probably a lot riding for NDSU on the ETSU game last year because I believe two days later they had to go and play Gonzaga, and Gonzaga was the number one team in the country at that time when they went into their place. So I'm sure they were putting a lot of emphasis on the ETSU game. Really good mid-major. We can get a really quality win for our schedule and boost – Obviously, you're not looking at an at-large probably out of the Summit League, but uh, boost our computer numbers and make us look you know, more legitimate when it comes to March. Improve our seed, perhaps, should we get to the NCAA tournament. And they just kind of fell flat. Um, and maybe it wasn't their day from outside. You know, They uh, didn't strike me as a tremendous shooting team, even though the numbers do stay different um, on a game-by-game basis. Um, if I remember right, I think they're like 9 for 33. Yeah, 9 for 33, 27%. So maybe it just wasn't their day from outside. They shot a much better percentage last year from deep. Uh, overall outside of that game but yeah I just I think that this is a really good matchup for ETSU and the Bucks have shooters I think to match NDSU if not surpass them if it happens to become a shootout eight o'clock tip time 7 30 pregame show it'll be ETSU North Dakota State the Bison and they're playing late at night because the Bison have an FCS playoffs game we will have the FCS playoff previews second round action our thoughts predictions on that coming up after this time out San Osaki on the Buccaneers Sports Network Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. favorite intro is it over i'll just make sure it was over i almost fell asleep during that. it was so long all right let's talk a little uh fcs uh i don't know where we were last week i felt like i was pretty good except for the southern conference team so oh, i'm not that, keeping so. track because i don't want to uh, good thank goodness yeah. oh goodness gracious no for your sake we're kind of like time. college game day right you make random predictions and nobody knows if you win or lose right they don't ever yeah they don't ever keep track it, do so. they no it's it's amazing that way no one seems so. to care though they seem to Sorry. still like college game day. although i did see a big noon kickoff on Fox was the better show in terms of ratings, I think, last week going into that Ohio State-Michigan game, though there could have been a lot of things that were surrounding that, including the fact that Ohio State-Michigan was the game that they had versus, I think, ESPN went into, like, it was some second-rate game, if I remember right. Yeah, and, well, and uh, all those uh, predictors got it right as well. Everyone took Ohio State, so <laughs> all those guys were right, at least on that game. I, I just know want, they picked on any other game. Yeah, I just wanted to remind you again of Ohio State, Michigan, clearly. Okay, I'm, FCS I'm playoffs sure this week. Number 14, Monmouth at number 2, James Madison. The Hawks of Monmouth averaging low 40s in points per game over their nine-game winning streak. Quarterback Kenji Bahar is eighth in the nation in passing over 3,500 yards. They're third in the nation in total offense because they also have the top running back in the nation yardage-wise, Pete Guerrero, who can reach 2,000 yards on the season with 112 this week. I think 
the question from their side of the ball this week as can their defense do enough to slow down a dynamic offense like James Madison's eight times this year Monmouth has given up 20 or more points and none of those offenses have been the number two scoring offense in the country like JMU's is averaging 42 points per game the other question Monmouth needs to answer can their offense sustain against the number three scoring defense in the country allowing just 16 points per game that being the Dukes I think there's a lot of questions for Monmouth not really a lot of questions for James Madison coming into this one Jay Sando except can they continue to be the dominant force they have been in the FCS playoffs? Yeah, I think James Madison will continue. I think Monmouth has been one of the better stories of 2019 uh, overall when you look at just where they came from, really no fanfare, coming out party when they hammered Kennesaw State, and we all like that. But I think James Madison just has too many uh, things going in their favor and uh, I think Monmouth probably maybe quarter and a half will be in there, but I think James Madison will end up winning about two or three scores by the end of the day. Number six, UNI at number number 12, or number 10, excuse me. My gosh, I can't even read. Number 10, South Dakota State. Speaking of good defenses, UNI gave up just three points to San Diego last week, and South Dakota State has given up just 17 points per game throughout the season. These are pair of the top 10 scoring defenses in the country so who has the edge while the Panthers are ranked higher in the stats FCS poll it's undoubtedly I think SDSU because they smacked UNI in definitive fashion when the two teams met in the regular season just one incompletion all day for the Jackrabbits and they picked off Will McIlvain three times in the 38 to 7 route or and I'll play devil's advocate here is it possible that UNI has the edge taking that game as a learning tool coming off a first round win in the playoffs and adjusting to SDSU this time around Jay Sandoz yeah, and, you know, sometimes that happens. I'm a firm believer that, uh, you know, I don't think it's that hard to beat a team a second time. Okay. I don't know. I, I, I think San Diego State, you know, boy, they were a, what was it, a fourth and one away from knocking off North Dakota State at their place, and, uh, and the fourth and one turned into, what, a 70-something-yard touchdown. But I think South Dakota State is, is sort of locked in right now. I think uh, it'll set up an interesting matchup because I'm going to have them winning at home and then going to James Madison and seeing what happens there. But I think South Dakota State will be able to uh, pick up the win over UNI. Number 13, Illinois State, and number 9, Central Arkansas. Tough to tell what you're going to get with Central Arkansas. They beat Western Kentucky and Austin P the first two games of the year. That Western Kentucky team went 8-4 and four and would be in the Conference USA title game if it wasn't for a 35-24 loss to Florida Atlantic. Of course, Austin P is a playoff team. But then Central Arkansas beat Nickel Soundly, or was beaten by Nichols Soundley, I should say, and shut out by Southeastern Louisiana, plus a one-point win over Northwestern State, who went 3-9 and nine this year. It'll be Braylon Smith, who is ninth in the country this year in passing against the number 5-ranked scoring defense of Illinois State that allows just 189 through the air per game, and James Robinson pounding the rock on the ground against the Central Arkansas rush defense. It was pretty average this year in terms of teams still left. Seems like a bad matchup to me for Central Arkansas, but if you look around, I think this is, if you look at the odds makers, the top tightest point spread throughout the weekend. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I, I'm going to, I think Illinois State kind of figured out, and, and maybe they have before, but I think they figured out, hey, if we hand the, the ball off to this guy named James Robinson, he, he he's fairly good. You know, 41 carries, 297 yards a week ago, and I think that's going to be the attitude that they do uh, against uh, Central Arkansas and say, look, can you stop this? And I think this will be the tightest game of the weekend, and I think this might be the only upset of the weekend. I think Illinois State will go into Arkansas and pick up the win. 
You clearly don't like my sell aside then, who take on number seven, Montana. Unranked, the only unranked team left alive in the land at the FCS level, Southeastern Louisiana, who lost to Ole Miss by 11, McNeese by four, Incarnate Word by six, and Nichols by one. And they got that one-point win against Villanova in the first round just nine days later after that one-point loss to Nichols. And Montana, who have only lost big, really, three losses by 91 combined points against Montana State, Sacramento State, and Oregon, granted, pretty good level of competition there, especially Oregon and then Montana State and Sacramento State, a couple of teams that made the playoffs as well and got buys. Scoring 43 per game in their wins are Montana. Sella wins a shutout last week in which 89 combined points were scored. I should say shootout in which 89 combined points were scored, not a shutout, 45 to 44. These two teams combined to average almost exactly what Villanova and Sella do this year uh, on the season as a whole. Will we have another shootout, and does it favor the Lions, Jack? Uh, it is a shootout. I, I will agree with that. Well, it depends. Which Grizzly team do you get? Do you get the one two weeks ago that went to Weber State and won 35-16, or do you get the one the next uh, next week, the last time they played two weeks ago, and Montana State hammers them 48-14, which I don't believe anybody saw. Certainly Montana State could win that game, but I don't think anybody saw sort of that beat down. So which team shows up? I'm going to go the one that's going to score and will outscore your beloved Sella. Sella. Sad to see, see them go. Sella. Whatever. Do. Whatever. Whatever it is. Never Southeast tw- Louisiana. I'm going Montana. The Lions haven't been to the playoffs since 2014. Montana since 2015. One of their playoff runs will continue. Number 25, Albany. And number 5, Montana State. The Bobcats coming off a bye, allowing just 13 points per game on their four-game win streak. Albany doesn't have much of a problem taking advantage of that. Jeff, by the way, it's under Cuffler. Under Cuffler, not under Clifford. So I don't know if you were doing a bit when you were calling him under Clifford, like Clifford the Big Red Dog, uh, but it's under Cuffler. Were you privy to that information? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. I, I thought, uh, I don't know why you wouldn't go under Clifford. <laughs> so or you're still going to call him I mean, under Clifford? Okay. Well, if you call yeah, probably. Okay. If you keep calling him under Clifford, they may I mean, continue are you to tell win. tell his mom? I mean, well, what, no, what, they, may, con- they, may, they may continue to win. I mean, I'm not sure. It's just uh, another Jay Sandosism uh, of, the, uh, of the name variety. But under Cuffler, uh, who's had six touchdowns last week, right after Jay Sandos hopped on the bandwagon, which. Seems like a coincidence, but for some reason I think it may not be a coincidence. Uh, the Great Danes, they get in trouble on the defensive side of the ball. In four losses, they've allowed 146 points, and even in a few of their wins, they've been high 20s, low 30s in points allowed. So could be a big day for under Clifford or under Cuffler, depending on what you prefer. It's over for Albany, I think, Montana State, after a few down years. They're back. Second straight appearance back in the playoffs. The Great Danes will run no more. Your thoughts? Well, I'm just going to call one name Jeff from this point forward, but I think uh, – <laughs> The outstanding. I mean, it is a great story. I I would love to sit here and and call for another Great Dane uh, win against the Bobcats. But being in that stadium, seeing a packed house, seeing how well they played this year at home, I think it's going to be very difficult for Albany uh, to go in there to Bozeman and, and and pick up a win. So I'm going to go Montana State, but wouldn't be shocked. If one named Jeff, those another six scores. Bye-bye to Jeff Underclifford. Uh, number 15, Kennesaw State at number four, Weber State. Weber and Kennesaw, for me, the game of the weekend, along with one more we'll talk about in a few minutes. But this one pits a Weber State team that maybe doesn't do anything flashy, but really everything well into this contest. Josh Davis, great running back. Jake Constantine, the quarterback, who I think is the key for them. He's either a turnover or touchdown machine, depending on the day. Then there's the Owls, eight players over 200 yards of rushing or more. Sub-50% completion rate. 
And right as I say, I think the game is going to be close and good and neck and neck the entire way. I think Kansas State's boring, overrated, and the lose. <laughs> well, that's tough to follow there. But I think the, the strength for Weber State has been their defensive line. They are uh, freakishly uh, big and physical, uh, very good against the run. They've only allowed, I think, 107 yards. That's top ten. They were ninth at some point. I, I don't know if the – if they got updated this past week, maybe they're different. But they're top ten against the run. Kennesaw State, as most option teams, very one-dimensional. So if uh, Weber State can throw a couple scores on the board, it's going to be difficult for Kennesaw State to come back. And I think that's what's going to happen. I think Weber State's going to be able to jump out to an early lead. Kennesaw State will have to get out of the comfort zone. It's going to be bad news. And so I think Weber State, um, maybe something like 28-7, 28-10, something like that, I think Weber State moves on. We may not agree on much, but at least we can agree on that. Number 19, Nichols at number one. NDSU, where you are, seven national titles for the Bison in the last eight years. The nation's best defense, allowing 12 points per game. The nation's fourth best offense, averaging 40 per game. Four 600-yard rushers, a quarterback with a, get this, and I had to do a double take, 23 touchdown to zero interception ratio this year and completes 69% of his passes. Is it too early in the playoffs to break this game down? Do we just start when the semis come around with North Dakota State? Yeah, North Dakota State, it only starts in a championship game. I don't care about any other round. It's going to be in a championship game. What are you going to do? They're going to get there until somebody just shuts me up on that. That's exactly what's going to happen. So, yes, the playoff start for North Dakota State in the championship game. Uh, Nichols dropped the state. We'll see how that goes for them. Uh, I think, you know, last week I, I didn't think they would be able to ad- advance. I think the big thing for North Dakota State is how's hospitality because me and Kevin Brown are going to check that out. We're going to go from shoot-around over to the football game, watch about a first half or so, see how the operations go, try to see, you know, size, strength, everything, speed, uh, what exactly the top FCS program looks like firsthand because it always is different in person, as you know, as opposed to watching on TV. I think North Dakota State rolls in this one over Nichols. Number 18, Austin P at number three, Sacramento State, the last game of the weekend that we are raking down. This is the other game I'm really excited for. Austin P just rolling right now. They've gotten better and better as the year's gone along after some early stumbles. Only lost since the one to ETSU, a two-point defeat at the hands of Tennessee State and allowing just 14 points per game over their six-game winning streak. Sacramento State has a top-five red zone defense in the country, very bend but don't break, and they get after the passer really well. Plus, Kevin Thompson has 35 combined touchdowns this year at QB. Dual threat guy. will be interesting to see how Thompson against the seventh-best defense in the country yardage-wise and to see how Austin P's tremendous offensive line that's allowed just eight sacks all year opposes Sacramento State who have gotten to the QB a whopping 42 times. I think this one has potential. A sleeper game of the weekend to be a thriller. I think it does, too, because you've got two teams that haven't been there, done that. You've got another surprise. Besides Monmouth, maybe the next biggest surprise is Austin P. And then the best turnaround in Sacramento State and all of FCS. Austin P. went in their first ever FCS playoff game last week. You look at Sacramento State. And this is unfamiliar territory for them, too. Not just playoffs, but seeded playoff home game. And so I think this one will be a tight game because it's just made up of two teams that really haven't been there. Austin P is red hot. I've read a lot of articles about where, you know, of course they mentioned the, the head scratchers, and ETSU can take credit for one of those, I'm sure, at this point in time. But just talked about really a hard team to figure out, but they're playing red hot right now. Everything's sort of going their way. Hornets at home. They had a week off, you know, to, to just sit back and wait. So I think this one could be uh, – Maybe, if not the best, it's definitely one of the top two games, I think, that's going to go on this weekend. And 
I think Sacramento State is would it's going to pull it out late, but I think it's going to be one of those 28, 27, 27, 24 type games. And uh, Sacramento State, I think, wins it. I kind of hope Austin P does this for a simple reason. It's a game that will get uh, hopefully ETSU fans excited about when the Bucks go back to uh, Clarksville to take on the Governors next year. That is the FCS playoff preview. Uh, bold predictions in which we look back to some NFL predictions and cross off, mostly from my side, unfortunately, playoff teams. I'm not excited. That's why I like it. Oh, gosh. All right, bold predictions. Other side, this time out, center sidekick, Buccaneer Sports Network. An inside look at Buccaneer basketball is back this winter with the ETSU Radio Coaches Show. Monday nights all season long, Steve Forbes and Brittany Azell join Voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz, live from Wild Wing Cafe at 71 Wilson Avenue in downtown Johnson City. It's a 6 o'clock start as Forbes and Azell field your questions, reflect on results, and preview upcoming action. The ETSU Radio Coaches Show every Wednesday at 6 right here on WXSMAM 640, The Sports Monster. Everyone in the stadium and across the NFL world is aware that quarterback Andrew Luck decided to retire. What's wrong, one? Look, I think it's plain to see Andrew Luck is going to be the top quarterback in football this year. Oh, yeah. If you don't think Antonio Brown's going to be a model system when he finally gets out of Pittsburgh and Oakland and goes to New England and get released by New England and go to online college, you're crazy. The AAF is a juggernaut. It's only a matter of time before it overtakes the NFL. You really think the NFL and Roger Goodell is going to let Josh Gordon back? I mean, it's obvious. Fletcher McGee is getting drafted, maybe even in the first round. We'll be back. No, 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 no. I've got plenty of sources more than you, Mike, in Knoxville. Rick Barnes is no way considering that UCLA job. Bold prediction. Now, I just want to state, when Fletcher McGee puts up like a million a game overseas, comes back, gets signed by an NBA team, puts up like a solid 12 to 15 a game, becomes that J.J. Redick type player, and some of those quote-unquote redrafts, like if you were to redraft, the 2019 NBA draft, when those come out, if he's a first-rounder, then I'm counting that as a correct bold prediction, just so you know. All right, in seven years when that comes <laughs> to fruition, we will uh, we'll, we'll, hopefully you'll have that little red book you keep up with. That we'll see. Oh, I'm looking at it right I, all now. I know is, all I know is the rumors of Antonio Brown going back to New England and me calling that uh, <laughs> because I'll – you know, I'll probably just go delete the last half of that and just leave it back to New England. Or maybe I'll just add to it again. Who knows? Well, I'm, but, I'm uh, also definitely going to go in, since you did that with your bold prediction on Antonio Brown, I'm definitely going in and moving some letters around. And when the XFL is a juggernaut, I'm saying the XFL instead of the <laughs> AAF. I'm making that switch. Okay. Well, it's it's uh, well, in juggernaut. And that's another one of those where you would have needed like eight years to prove or ten years. I like that you do that. I like that you – uh, set yourself up for it's really am I meaning now or like a decade from now, and I will just call Jay in the middle of the night and go, boom, told you so. I think that's what you're doing. Well, when you push me into oncoming traffic at the end of the year because I've beaten you in bold predictions, I won't even live to see those predictions, and so I will die knowing that I have done well in bold predictions, and really that's all I want in life. Okay, and how are you doing right now? <laughs> okay, let's go over some season-long NFL predictions because we can actually, uh, unfortunately, X off a few of our teams that we said would make the playoffs. If you didn't hear the first episode of Sandos and the Sidekick and Bowl Predictions this year, I think it was the Friday episode, so it would have been third episode of the 2019-20 campaign. We made season-long bowl predictions for the NFL, and we get one point per correct playoff team. Uh, we did put them in order, 
Um, but really, at this point, we should not even focus on the order. We should just focus on who's still alive. And for me, um, there's a few that we're crossing off. I believe San Diego is officially eliminated from the playoffs, correct? Yes, they, okay. are done. they were they were my number six team in the AFC. Cleveland is technically still alive, though the fact that they lost to Pittsburgh last week really, really hurt them. And you look at the standings, and this is the frustrating part for me. You look at the standings, and if they win that game, they're tied with Pittsburgh with the tie break, and they're only one game behind Tennessee, who, as you've chronicled on air many times, is very Jekyll and Hyde. They'll beat the really good teams on the road, and then they'll come home and lose to, like, Jacksonville. Uh, and so you never know what's going to happen there. So Oakland... And Cleveland, while Oakland is probably out, um, Cleveland probably out. They're technically still alive, so we're keeping them in. New England, Kansas City, and Houston at the top of my AFC. Um, still feeling pretty good about that. Uh, for my NFC, the Rams were my number one seed. Um, they're still alive, again, but if they end up making it, they're probably going to supplant the Vikings, who are my Super Bowl championship team. Uh, so I don't think that that's a good thing for me either way. Dallas somehow is still at the top of the NFC East. Um, Minnesota, Atlanta. Wow. Okay. Cross that out. How did you keep Atlanta off yours? That was really smart. And then Green Bay and Chicago. Chicago last night keeps their hopes alive uh, at the hands of Dallas. Uh, Dallas, the victim of a 31 to 24 upset in the night. Mitch Trubisky did some really weird statistical accomplishment that they just made up last night for him. Uh, for you, New England, your number one seed naturally. Jacksonville, nice. Yeah, they're, they're yeah they're done. Yeah they're done. Pittsburgh was your number three. Uh, they're again not done, and they're coming on relatively strong here. I think seven and five tied with yeah, they, Tennessee. They're yeah, right, and they actually hold the tiebreaker as of right now, although they haven't played head-to-head, so there's some weird versus AFC-type deals. So still a lot of football to go. San Diego you also had, so they're out for you too. Uh, Baltimore and Kansas City, nice. I, uh, I, I don't know why I didn't pick Baltimore over Oakland. I was just on that Antonio Brown train, and clearly uh, it's worked out better, I think, once Antonio Brown left than I thought it would, but still not very good. Uh, NFC for you, Philadelphia was your number one. Um, they're and still can again be. still high. Well, I don't know if they can be number one. Not the number one. Not be, the number one, but in the playoffs. Yeah, the they playoffs. can be in the playoffs. Yeah, Minnesota, New Orleans, nice. Seattle, nice. Chicago and the Rams. So Chicago and the Rams are probably out. Philadelphia, I'd say, semi probably out. But those other three, uh, Minnesota, New Orleans, Seattle, that's solid. Uh, crossing off two for you and two for me actually. So it's even. I actually feel pretty good. San Diego and Atlanta out for me. Jacksonville and San Diego out for you. Um, yeah, I don't know. It could be worse. Like with most of our bull well, predictions, and, they can't and, be worse, but this could be worse. All right, so I still got Chicago and the Rams. Minnesota still plays, right? Your, your boys still play Green Bay and schedule. Chicago yeah. still go, right? Yeah. So there, there is a shot that the Rams, of course, the Rams still play Seattle and San Francisco again. Yeah. So one of those two could maybe snake in and knock Minnesota out, which would be great for me, terrible for for you. I would hate that. Actually, I had Minnesota, too, didn't I? You had Chicago. I had Minnesota, too. Oh, I had Chicago. Yeah, so I need Chicago. <laughs> oh, so either one of those get in. I'm, I'm in the driver's seat here. I don't know what you're talking about. And then what we didn't expect, the Bills, right? Yeah. You know, it was early. Bills. You're like, okay, God, they're beating a lot on. of terrible teams, and the now Bills. nobody would have had the Bills. So now you're just fighting for, will the Titans be the Titans? Because that's, I mean, right now you're looking at so the Titans will be the Titans. They're going to go one and three in their last four because that's just what the Titans do. They go eight and eight. Who knows that. what happens? And the, the one year they accidentally went nine and seven, they got back in the playoffs. So we'll see what goes. Pittsburgh schedule's just easier. Um, it is. I mean, they get a Bengals. game against Cincinnati, Ugh. right? They, Twice, Arizona, right? Don't, don't they play them twice? Week. 
I think they play Cincinnati twice. No. Oh, they don't? No, 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 no. No, because it's going to be Cincinnati, Arizona, Buffalo. Oh, yeah. And then uh, and then Baltimore. Oh, and right. So they do have Baltimore. Yeah, that's right. So they got Baltimore there. So, but, I mean, they they go 2-2. Two and two, It's 9-7. and seven. I don't know who Tennessee has left on their schedule. But as the Titans normally do, uh, as a matter of fact, I'm looking up right now, they got the Raiders, right? So the way the Raiders are playing, who no knows? No Raiders. I mean, to, to me, it wouldn't be a shock if the Raiders, who have looked awful for two straight weeks, somehow beat Tennessee. And Tennessee lose to a team again, they should beat. Naturally. And then they are home against the Texans. That's a tight game. Then they got New Orleans and the Texans again. Wow. Ooh, but those are teams they should beat. So in that theory, uh, the Titans are probably going to go three and one with their only loss to. <laughs> with your uh, reverse Oakland. psychology theory, yes, your reverse yeah, psychology theory. Yeah, they're ten and six now. Yeah. They're in. They're in. I don't need them in, but now they're ten and six, so I got them in. Okay, I am six and thirty. No, six four thirty. So I'm hitting uh, two hundred even, and you are three of thirty, hitting one hundred. Great work by you, and you are going first. This will all tie back into my bold predictions why we went over the NFL teams today. Uh, but you go ahead with your first. My first one's actually going to be one of the championship games, and I'm going mm. down go the Mountaineers of Appalachian State. Mm. Louisiana Lafayette, second straight year they're playing in Boone for the conference championship, and I'm going Louisiana Lafayette with the upset. Well, I am going to go NFL, and speaking of me hating the Steelers, they're going to be beaten by the Cardinals this week. I'm doubling down on not only – my prediction, well, hating your prediction of Pittsburgh being in, my prediction of Pittsburgh not being in, and Cleveland getting in, even though that looks very, very outside right now. Uh, probably not going to happen whatsoever, but uh, still holding on to hope. We also have outside arguments, like two or three different ones about the AFC North. This, for me, holds a lot of emotion and passion this week. I am going Cardinals over Steelers. Kyler Murray, like, eight touchdowns. It's going to be, like, 64 to nothing, but don't quote me on that part. Just Cardinals outright beat the Steelers. Well, now I'm going to do what I do. I'm taking your Raiders. Yes. The home dogs who have looked terrible for two weeks in a row will beat the Tennessee Titans. I like that. And I'm going to go actually championship games. Now, the kind of theme with my bold predictions is doubling down on predictions slash arguments that we have had. Clemson, maybe the boldest prediction that I have ever made, is going to lose in Charlotte to Virginia, and they will be knocked out of the college football playoff. And I've got another bold prediction involving the playoff as well, but it gets no bigger than I think a 28-and-a-half-point underdog, Virginia, ranked number 23 in the country, but the point spread is bigger than the spread of spots between these two teams. They're both ranked, but Clemson's number three, Virginia's number 23. I'm not sure I've ever seen a point spread this large amongst ranked teams. Probably Alabama's had one here and there, but 28-and-a-half points, Virginia, I'm not talking covering. I'm not talking any stipulations at all. They upset Clemson, and down go the Tigers. Well, the only game that Clemson struggled was on the road in the state of North Carolina. <laughs> that's, that's there you go. Got that working for you, too. So uh, several years ago, Tom Brady played at Kansas City, and it was the demise of Brady. I remember that. Remember? So oh, yeah. Brady's uh, dead, forgotten, yep. it's over with. 41-7 or something Bowl like that. Yeah. Win, right? Yeah. All right, going to win. Uh, the demise of Brady has happened again. He is dead. We forget him. Let's go ahead and move on. The Trubisky's old better than him. That's been the go. thing. Trubisky. Trubisky is, is better <laughs> than him. Everything you could throw at me right now. So Tom Brady's going to answer with a four-touchdown game. Four touchdown passes, which he has done zero this year. Wow, really? Zero. Four touchdown passes. He's only thrown three once in a game this year. I'm going four 
at home against Kansas City, four passes, Thomas Brady. The fact that that is at home, I think he has a chance. And he does, you know what, steps up in the biggest of games. And how perfect would the symmetry be? He was buried seven, eight years ago at Kansas City. Now home against Kansas City will awaken yet again. Love a good storyline. I, hey, I love it. I love it. I like where your head's at. Uh, finally, and I think this is tonight, uh, in the college football playoff, race to get in for the four teams that will. Uh, Utah is right on the outside, but they will be no more. Oregon will pull the upset against Utah, ranked number 13 in the country. Oregon, I think they love were six and a half or so um, to be beaten by Utah. Not going to happen. Oregon eliminates Utah. I love it. I I almost but I was I wanted to go one college, one pro and I wanted to go an individual performance. Oh yeah. And I debated between Oregon and Louisiana Lafayette. Ended up going Louisiana Lafayette because they played there last year, but I like that. I like Oregon. Pitt. Well, I had Clemson not getting into the college football playoff, and that for me is the biggest one this week. I, I want Oregon, but if I'm to pick one, I got to have Virginia. Is this the most absurd, bold prediction? Doubling down on me saying at the beginning of the year that Clemson would not get into the college football playoff. Absurd over the top? You're I, I, uh, well, you're always absurd over the yes. top. So perfect. You got to love that. I'm on brand. <laughs> you stick with stick to the guns, baby. All right, Santa's sidekick. We'll recap the men's and women's basketball weekends. We'll talk FCS playoffs. We'll recap bold predictions. Uh, all that and more coming up on next week's show. I'll be back in studio Monday. I think we have a full studio Monday through Friday next week. Who knows? Wow. Santa's sidekick on the Buccaneer. Sports Network. See ya.